Good morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here. If we haven't met, I would love the chance to get to know you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. And for those of you joining us online, we say uh, hello to you again. We hope you'll say hello to our online pastor, Rachel. I told Gracie, or actually told the whole 830 congregation after we saw the starfish, like, we could just do this for 15 minutes and go home, you know? (laughs) Adults need, like, big breaths as well. And so that's a great practice, uh, really, for all of us. Um, really quick, I want to thank you, all of you who were a part of our community conversation on gun safety last Thursday night. We had about 89 people in person and another um, 15 to 25 watching online. And so we're just grateful to, for you uh, showing up and making this a place where we can have important and crucial conversations. I also want to thank you for uh, starting to give me your questions to build our September series. It is called What in the Word? And it is your questions about scripture. And so after last Sunday, I received like seven questions from people. So there aren't seven Sundays. Sundays. I'll have to pick. But if you have questions about scripture, uh, please tell me on your way out the door or write it down on a piece of paper or send me an email. And that's what we're going to look at in September is our questions about scripture. Today, we're in the third uh, Sunday of our sermon series, Be Well. And we're talking about our wellness and our health and, and we've acknowledged that our culture gives us a lot of different messages about wellness, but we're looking at what the Bible says, uh, particularly in the book of Luke as we look at healing stories. When we look at these stories, we see that Jesus cared for people in their full humanity, mind, body, spirit. Uh, we've talked about how we've sectioned these Sundays off um, as physical and spiritual. Today, we're talking about mental wellness, and next week is communal, but they are all intertwined. They all intersect with one another. Uh, we know that because our physical health affects our mental state and vice versa. And so we started with physical wellness, talking about that bodies really matter to God, that God came to us in a body through the person Jesus, that bodily healing matters to God, that Jesus was resurrected in bodily form. And so as you look at these stories or you look at at Jesus's ministry, you see that he's touching people's bodies and he's healing their bodies. Last week, we talked about uh, spiritual wellness, looking at this story of a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she went out in these huge crowds that were following Jesus and she reached forward and touched the edge of his cloak. And it says that when she did that, her bleeding immediately stopped. And Jesus didn't turn around and reprimand her or or yell at her for being ritually unclean. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so we talked about how there's this connection between our faith and our wellness. We said that a spiritually well person looks and acts grateful, content, joyful. The person is present to what is going on in front of them. They have a deep interior life, but they also visibly, you can see how they love their neighbor well. So today, as we talk more about mental wellness, uh, this is one place I would say, I feel like our culture is really wrapping its arms around, like we're doing well, acknowledging that mental health is important. And sure, there's a long way that we have to go. Uh, But for instance, last Thursday, as we did this this panel on gun safety, uh, Carrie Kress, who's a United Methodist pastor, and she's a chaplain with the police department, was telling me all about the police wellness unit. 
You know, we have places that are our workplaces and places that we go are, are focusing on wellness, and we know how important it is to continue to talk about mental health. And so as we look at this passage today, we're going to see what it has to say. It begins the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Now, I told you it's important to put our stories into context. So what has happened right before this is that Jesus had been up on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and he had been transfigured before them. And so there's this moment where he's sort of enveloped in a bright light and his, cl- his clothes, not the clouds, his clothes turn as like bright white as my robe. And uh, God appears and God says, this is my son whom I've chosen. And it's meant to take us back So when Jesus is baptized and God parts the clouds and says, this is my son whom I've chosen, whom I love, listen to him. And so right after that mountaintop experience, right when we come down the mountain, there's a man in a crowd that calls out to Jesus and he is begging Jesus to come and look at his son. And he's explaining that this spirit inside of him seizes him and makes him scream and convulse. And it says it scarcely ever leaves him and it is destroying him. And the man says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Now, what this man is referencing is that just a little uh, earlier in the start of chapter nine, Jesus has sent the disciples out with his same healing power to heal in the ways that he heals. Now, this isn't a good example of them being successful at that (laughs) because the man is saying, I begged your disciples to do it and they couldn't. And so Jesus says to the man, uh, or maybe just to the crowd, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? And I don't know, this feels like good news to me, like Jesus got frustrated like we get frustrated and impatient like we get impatient. And he says to the man, bring your son here. Bring your son to me. And so the text tells us as the, as, uh, the boy is coming to Jesus, The demon threw him on the ground into another convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And everybody there was amazed at the greatness of God. What is really interesting to me about this passage is that it follows a pattern that happens in the book, particularly in chapters five through nine. And the pattern is one of Jesus blessing and giving back. And so as we look at these healing stories throughout these four chapters, it says, Jesus healed a leper and gave him back, healed a paralytic and gave him back, healed the son of the widow of Nain and gave him back to his mother. And it's not just the healing story. Jesus takes bread, he blesses it, and he gives it back to the people. And now here he is giving this boy back to his father. You can imagine what that really means giving him back to his father, perhaps the way his father remembered him, uh, who he really was. So this verb to give in the book of Luke is used 60 times. And Luke chapter six says, the measure that you give will be the measure that you get back. And so here we just, we see Jesus establishing this pattern for us to follow, blessing and giving back, blessing and giving back. And when Jesus does this, Jesus, um, as I just said, he's sort of 
not just healing people physically, he's restoring who they are at their, at their core. He's sort of bringing them back to their true selves and he's restoring them to the community. We also see that we can give ourselves over to Jesus. We can give ourselves over to Jesus and expect to be blessed in return. Now, some people say what we read here about this this demon or this spirit um, is now best understood as epilepsy, epilepsy. So a neurological disorder that wouldn't have been understood at the time. And as you can imagine, if you're watching this scene play out in your mind as we read this scripture, right, this disease caused this boy great pain, great disturbance, uh, much like mental illness and mental disorders that cause great pain today. And I imagine for the people in his community, it was hard to watch this little boy, right? Maybe even hard to see him as a person. People were likely stared at him or were scared of him, perhaps in the same way that we look at people or are scared of people when we do not understand their mental illness. And so part of our work as a community to bless and give back, to bless and restore, is to seek to understand. You know, one way to do this is by helping to remember and call attention to a person's humanity, like who someone is can be separated from their addiction, from their depression, from their anxiety. And if we give attention to person-first language, we help with this. What I mean is like, we may say as a church that we seek to help homeless people, but what we really need to say is we seek to help people experiencing homelessness. We restore humanity. Part of how we can also help as the church is to acknowledge that yes, in this story, Jesus is the one who cures, he is the healing ointment, but now with all the knowledge that we have, we can no longer continue to say things like, just pray and it will be okay, or Jesus, just turn to Jesus and Jesus is the cure and that's all that you need. That causes a lot of harm. It's important to say, we can suffer from a disease and still find ways to be well if we seek out and use the right tools, okay? Our faith is 100% included in that, but now we know that we need therapy and sometimes medication and support groups and wellness practices. All of these things together help us find our way back to ourselves and back to our communities. As I continued to read this story and think about its import for our lives, I just kept thinking about if we saw this child ourselves, we would have, I hope, compassion and empathy and would want to try to help him and fight for him to be healed like his father did. But then I thought, what if we are that child, right? What if we are the adult with that inner child that lives within us that is wounded? And and those wounds that we hold on to can sometimes feel like a spirit that seizes us and keeps us from having a healthy life. Do we have the same compassion and empathy towards ourselves, towards those inner children? 
Maybe you have heard this before, that each person has an inner child. It, it comes from a psychology research and study from Carl Jung. Um, he explains that like your inner child is like a sub-personality, that your child self stays with you, sometimes even as a part of your unconscious. And, and it can represent a lot of different experiences that you've had in your life. It's not really about assigning uh, morality to them, Uh, calling them good or bad. It's about being attentive to like the ways you were raised and how that informs what you do and what you think. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home for a weekend, you know? Put yourself back with your nuclear family. What kind of patterns do you fall into? What was the role that your family assigned you? You can see that inner child come to life. Now, they do acknowledge that, that, uh, some of us, some of our inner children are, are working through deep things like trauma and abuse and abandonment, parental neglect, all the way down to you know, simple struggles of how we fit in with our peer group or how we fit into our family. So what I'm trying to say is that top level mental wellness requires some deep investigative work, right? It requires that hard look at your inner child and what that child might say and how that child may affect your relationship now. And it, it requires some deep self-compassion. But today, maybe most of us are curious about that daily mental wellness. You know, we're trying to figure out how to be well in the midst of our stress and our anxiety, our work, our caring for children, our caring for our parents, a new diagnosis, going to the doctor all the time. You know, so we can ask maybe what gets in the way of our mental wellness? Uh, This week I was, doing as most people do, scrolling the internet, (laughs) scrolling Instagram, Facebook, and I came across some content from Derek Chu, and he talks about when it comes to our minds, there are things that get in the way. One of the things he says is that overthinking is the biggest cause of unhappiness. Like actually using your mind too much can be detrimental. And so he gives this example, like when we think uh, problem, we think that problems need to be solved with more thinking, with more effort. That's why we don't like allow ourselves to go home at the end of the day. We just keep trying and trying and trying. But he's saying when we refuse to stop, the answers never come. Like the answers are found in silence, in time, in a space where we can clear our mind. And so if you can't solve a problem, stop trying to solve it. This is why the it, you know, whatever it is, comes to you when you're like taking a shower or when you're in the, uh, laying in your bed and you have a, this peace Um, Yesterday, there was a Times article that talked about the post-vacation clarity. This is what we're talking about, how to have clarity in our day-to-day life. And so how are we, how are you creating space where you can settle down and clear your mind and let the answers come to you? Like we are trying to live our way into the answers. 
He also says that something we can do uh, that often gets in our way is we can fact check our own thoughts, right? He says your thoughts and your mind will create scenarios that reflect your insecurities and your fears and your worries. And so it's important to sort of filter and assess your own thoughts before you accept them. So one way I explain this is like, you are not everything that you think. Thank God. You are not everything that you think is not true. And not everything you think is what you believe or what you want to say or want to inform the way that you act. And so investigating our minds can help us, lead us to a place of greater mental wellness. Uh, We know that part of the key to cultivating wellness is to cultivate a strong mind. Uh, Another quote I read said, a negative mind will find fault in everything. You know when you've slipped into a place of negativity or you know those people that every time you encounter them, there's just a fault in everything. A negative mind will find fault in everything, but a positive mind will find opportunity in everything. It's like seeing a place for growth and for change. We know that self-talk and inner dialogue, that is what helps us to keep going. That's what helps us uh, to stay positive in our mind. When I was talking about this with some of the older adults in our church, uh, they reminded me of that great phrase, mind over matter, right? How many times do you have to say like, mind, that's for me, it's like when I'm in the middle of running. (laughs) Mind over matter, not a good runner, okay? And so then, Uh, But this person was talking about how she's caring now for her spouse whose body does not work in the same way that it used to because of a disease. And so she has to remember that like our state of wellness includes having satisfaction with what is going on in hard seasons and accepting that not everything can be fixed No, she said, sometimes it's a matter of redirecting your mind, particularly as your body starts to fail you. You know, I can't do this, but I can do this. Like having that shift and continuing to stay positive. Uh, One of the phrases that I often say to myself, this inner dialogue is, you can and you will. Uh, One of my friends a couple of months ago was going to the Y, and she was telling me how she was going to a workout class that she wasn't sure she would make it through, and I was like, oh, well, I feel that way all the time, and so in the middle of my workout, I just say, you can and you will, you know, and several months later, um, we were standing out here in the parking lot watching Lyle Lyle Crocodile with our kids here for the movie on the lawn, And she came up and she gave me a gift. And when I opened it, um, it was a bracelet that said, you can and you will. She said, I want you to have that in front of you. And it wasn't just because I was trying to make it through a workout. It was because at that phase of my life, um, I was battling my my mother-in-law's diagnosis with pancreatic cancer. And my five-year-old son kept getting chronic strep throat. And I was trying to care for the church and felt like I was hanging on by a thread. I mean, what is the stuff that you say to yourself when you need it most? You can and you will. And for us as people of faith, It is keeping God's word and God's promises in our mind's eye, right? You remember that phrase in your mind's eye? Like what's in your imagination? What's in your memory? What do you see in your mind's eye? 
Because in the midst of our pain, if we can recall scripture, if we can recall God's promises, we have something to draw upon. Like God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That can see you through some things. Or great is thy faithfulness to me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy is new every single day. See, people of faith, we see a different picture in our mind different from the one that's right in front of us in this world. We see words and we see scriptures that keep us going. We keep our eyes upon Jesus. As this song says that we're about to sing, the Lord is my best thought by day and by night. Thanks be to God. Amen.